Hi, I'm Sissy Graham Lynch. Welcome to Fearless, helping you have a fearless faith in a compromising culture. Welcome back to another episode of Fearless. Today's going to be a little bit different. I have guest Elisa Childers, which we have had here before to talk about another gospel, her book. But I had Elisa come to Samaritan's Purse and the Billy Graham Evangelistic Association to share with our morning devotions with our staff. Our staff meet every morning for devotions. And I wanted our staff to be aware of what's happening inside the church and inside of our culture when it comes to progressive Christianity. And the word deconstruction, that is something we're seeing more and more. So although I've had her, we've talked about this book here on Fearless. I think this is so important. So I'm excited to share with you our time from our morning devotions that we had at Samaritan's Purse with Elisa. Lisa, welcome to Samaritan's Purse. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for all the work that you do. I've noticed this trend of some of my friends that grew up in wonderful Christian homes and solid churches. I went to Liberty University with them. And all of a sudden, they would join a church when they went off to whatever city they found jobs in. And within six weeks, they completely walked away from their faith. And I've noticed it over and over. And maybe that's a common story, a story that you've seen with your friends. Maybe it's a story you've seen with your family, your children or grandchildren that have gone off to college and have come back with some wild ideas about their faith and Christianity, and they're beginning to doubt it. And to have questions about our faith is normal. We should all have questions, but that we should be looking at the gospel, looking at the church history that reaffirm that, not what today's culture is defining the gospel. And so in this movement, I see it as um, one of the most dangerous things that's happening inside the church. I think the greatest threat to the church is not on the outside, but it's on the inside. And it's this movement seeking to redefine our faith, but the core beliefs of our faith. We can't be blindsided by this, that we have to be prepared. And this morning, we have a very special guest, Elisa Childers. Um, Elisa grew up in a wonderful Christian home. She was also in the girls' band Zoe Girl back in the day. I'm sure, well, some of us younger ones might have been those summer concerts and festivals, all those times. But she is a, um, a defender of Scripture. She's a relentless seeker of truth. She's had to dig deep. This is a personal story to her of progressive Christianity, and I want her to help us understand it, to have a better understanding, so that when we come face-to-face with this, that we can be in a prayerful matter of how God can prepare our hearts. You wrote a book a couple years ago, and it's called Another Gospel, that described your personal journey, because like I said, this, this topic is personal. You've been in the trenches with it. It's been called one of the most important books of our time. Share with us your story that compelled you to write this book, Exposing Progressive Christianity. Well, I'm sure like many of you, I grew up in a Christian home, going to church my whole life, loved Jesus as far back as I can remember. In fact, I don't remember a time in my life when I wasn't aware of the presence of Jesus, when I wasn't convinced deep in my bones that the Bible was his word. 
my family did a lot of work similar to some of the work that you do where I was out working the soup lines on the Fred Jordan mission on Skid Row growing up and did a lot of homeless ministry, watched my mother hug on prostitutes and minister to drug dealers and drug addicts. And that was just a regular part of my life. And so the Christians in my life were really dedicated people who loved God, they loved his word, and they loved other people. And and the reason I say that is because I didn't really have any reasons to want to doubt what I believed or, or to look for a reason for it to not be true, because not only did I deeply believe it, but it worked. It, it worked. And Christians, I had a pretty good experience with Christianity. Uh, and as Sissy mentioned, I spent the better part of a decade in the CCM music industry and throughout that time ended up getting married. And then when Zoe Girl came off the road, my husband and I began attending a church in Middle Tennessee and we loved it. We loved the pastor's intellectual approach to the sermons. Neither one of us had really ever been exposed to something like that before. We loved the sense of community we found among the people there. And we were home. We, we just loved this church. And after about eight months of us attending there, the pastor singled me out and, and invited me to be a part of what he described to be an inner circle type study and discussion group. He said, this is going to be like seminary. If you go through this class, you're going to come out on the other side with a seminary level education. Now, I had never really investigated the intellectual side of my faith before. If, if you would have asked me as a little girl, why do you believe the Bible is God's word? I would have just said like, well, because it is, or because the Bible says so, or because the Holy Spirit revealed this to me. But I wouldn't have been able to give you uh, a reason that came from any sort of intellectual knowledge. And so I was excited, and I, I came to the class. And essentially what ended up happening is that this pastor had already been through a process called deconstruction. Have you all heard about that word in the context of faith? We're starting to hear about it more and more. Essentially, it's just the process of maybe you grow up in the church and you've never critically thought about your beliefs before. And then for the first time, you, you think about those beliefs. Why do I believe these things? Do I actually believe these things? And many Christians end up walking away from the core beliefs of Christianity and redefine it or maybe even deconstruct into atheism. So this pastor had already deconstructed and was intending on getting his flock to go into deconstruction. He was very good at it. So every precious belief that I'd ever held was intellectually deconstructed. It was explained away. And uh, long story short, after we ended up leaving the church, but it was after we left the church that I was propelled into my own deconstruction. All those doubts that he planted began to take root and grow. And God, in his amazing faithfulness, shepherded me through the process of reconstructing my faith and coming to the conclusion that those core claims that I'd been given as a child were true, that the Bible is God's word and we can stand on it. But it was a long journey over many years. And many years later, the reason I'm so passionate to talk about progressive Christianity is because that church went on years later to identify itself as a progressive Christian community. Then I began to see it everywhere. Progressive Christian books and blogs and uh, you know, many people think that it's just sort of maybe a group of Christians that are doing more work like what you do, or maybe just changing their mind on some social issues. But as I argue in the book, it's, it's at its core, it's a different religion. It gives you a different God and a different Jesus, and it's not a Jesus who can save you. So that's why I'm passionate about talking about it. And how thankful I am in your life that you were relentless in seeking that truth. I mean, you dug deep into church history and theology, which 
That is so daunting for so many people. That's a tough topic. And as you just said, um, we all can have different definitions of what progressive Christianity is. For me, um, as a millennial, some of us can get a bad rap sometimes. As a millennial, I I thought that a progressive church would have been just a younger church, a lot of grace, a lot of love, and sprinkling with truth, but not struggling with the core theology, the core basic historical beliefs of Christianity. So just really quick, so we're on the same page, let's define the terms, um, because some people say progressive is this, others will say progressive is that. Define what we're talking about before we move on. Yeah, so progressive Christianity essentially is a movement of Christians coming up and out of the evangelical church who are re-examining, redefining, and often rejecting the core claims of the historic Christian gospel, but still retaining the title Christian. So so that would be what it is as a movement. Now, the, the beliefs and the just the attitudes that sort of surround it is that if you take the theological liberalism that arose out of Germany in the 1800s and even some of the rise of the Unitarian movement in the United States in the 1700s, if you take those theological conclusions and you marry them with postmodernism and then you just drop it like a bomb into the evangelical church, you have progressive Christianity. So I think where, where we see mainline Protestant denominations who embraced that theological liberalism in decline it's sort of, I think, kind of like a parasite looking for a new host. So it, it doesn't go away. It's just looking for another place to kind of start to fester and grow. And so largely because of the internet, it has festered and grown in the evangelical church for many years now and has emerged as this movement of progressive Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, one of your popular blog posts a couple years ago that kind of started you on a podcast, and by the way, she's got an amazing podcast because today we're just skimming the surface. So I encourage you to listen to it. But you wrote a blog post, The Five Signs That Your Church Might Be Heading Towards a Progressive Christianity. I want to go through those because I think it can creep into churches. But I also think with the culture that we're finding, which we're going to get to, the churches opened up their arms wide open. And I think because we don't know Scripture. We don't know what Scripture says. We've become a biblically illiterate Uh, nation and a church, so we are not prepared. But I want to go through these five signs that so we can start seeing, uh uh-oh, red flags, that doesn't sound right. Your first one was, um, the first sign was a lowered view of scripture. Yeah, so that's probably the main hallmark of progressive Christianity is just a complete redefinition and reexamination of what the Bible even is. So in many progressive churches, you might hear something like, the Bible is primarily a human book written about God rather than a divine book of God's word breathed out through humans. And so in that sense, you might even hear progressive Christians say, I have a very high view of scripture. Or they might even say the Bible contains the word of God, or may even say it is the word of God. But those words mean very different things in that movement. So, uh, for example, you might hear a progressive Christian say, hey, Paul the apostle had these biases. He had these prejudices. So we have to sort of take the knowledge we have of God now and filter Paul through that. So that's why we, we know Paul, you know, he didn't really get sexuality right because he had these hangups. Or what he wrote about women was maybe just culturally conditioned because he just didn't have this knowledge that we have now. So you're free to disagree with the Apostle Paul. 
in progressive Christianity. And so it really undermines at its core the authority of scripture. Uh, I, I don't think you'll find many progressive Christians that would even say they believe the Bible is inerrant. So probably the least would say that. Some would still say it's authoritative for themselves, but they're not going to tell anyone else that it's authoritative for them. But then when you really dig down with, by more asking more questions, when they use words like authority and inspiration, they mean something entirely different, which I think we're going to get to that too. The second one was feelings over facts. Yeah, this is a big one. And in progressive Christianity, the, the personal conscience is really valued as the highest authority. And you'll even see that on some belief statements on progressive churches that, you know, we believe in the power of each person's individual conscience to lead them to what their spiritual beliefs are going to end up being. So there's this sense of autonomy that is uh, championed in this movement. And so often that's why the view of the Bible gets a little bit muddy because essentially you're taught to interpret the Bible through your own moral compass. So if there's something in the Bible that seems questionable to you, or if you see the God of the Old Testament doing something that you're like, I don't think God would do that, then then you take that as an opportunity to reinterpret that verse or maybe say, well, they didn't really... They, they just were trying to figure God out. God certainly wouldn't do something like that. So, so I'm going to just look at that as their human and cultural constraints making their way into what they were trying to write for us, but I'm going to interpret it in a different way. So it's, it's very much a, a self-led sort of movement when it comes to morality and spirituality. And we can see how that affects with our culture today, because our culture is very feeling-oriented. We can choose to be whoever we want to be. We can choose our own sexuality, um, our own gender, that there's no absolute truth. You have your truth. I have my truth. And so that feeling, that helps draw people into progressive Christianity, especially when they're indoctrinated with uh, schools and with culture around them. When young people go in, that helps draw them in when their feelings can be affirmed. The third sign is essential doctrine is open to reinterpretation. Right. So for most Christians, I think there's this sense in which we know that some beliefs are more important than others, right? Paul affirms this in 1 Corinthians 15 when he records a very early creed for us. He says, this is of utmost importance. So that's why I think Christians innately, we know we can't really disagree about the resurrection of Jesus, right? We can't really disagree that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. You know, we might quibble over predestination versus free will or how to baptize people, But in progressive Christianity, it's important to understand that all doctrines are sort of put on the same level. So we can argue over women's roles in ministry. We can also argue over the resurrection. So it might be that you find one progressive Christian that believes in the resurrection, another who doesn't. But they're fine to be in unity together because it's just, it's not really about what you believe in progressive Christianity. There's a broad spectrum of beliefs that fall under that umbrella. It's very fluid. It's constantly progressing. It's actually hard to define because of that. Uh, But there tends to emerge in progressive Christianity some denials that they all have in common. And those denials would be things like the existence of hell. Uh, the atoning sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the idea that sin would separate us from God. These are things that are pretty much unanimously denied, at least among the thought leaders of progressive Christianity. 
The fourth was historic terms redefined. Right. So I mentioned that progressives will say, maybe, I believe the Bible is divinely inspired. But if you read the books, they don't mean God breathed in the sense that we've historically meant that to uh, that term and even how it is meant in scripture. So in progressive Christianity, it might be that, you know, God will use this book to inspire you. He will, he will make certain parts come alive and make it inspiring for your faith, and you might get a revelation from it. But it, it's, it's sort of flipped. Again, it comes through the filter of the self. It's not that the words themselves are authoritative and we are compelled to obey them. So there's even words like incarnation that get redefined. Like when you all think of incarnation, you're thinking of Jesus, right? Well, in progressive Christianity, one of the dominant views of incarnation is that Jesus is really just like the second incarnation. The first incarnation is creation. And it's uh, the idea that God incarnated himself into physical matter, filling the universe like a hand fills a glove. Therefore, the universe is the body of God, and there's a divine essence infused into everything from this table to you as a person. That's a very dominant view. So we have to be really careful to define our terms when we're talking about progressive Christianity and especially with someone who might be in the movement. I think this last one is something that once again has drawn people, especially a younger generation, and it's the heart of the gospel is switched to a social justice. Right. So as you all well know, all the amazing work that you are doing all over the world, uh, every real Christian is going, yes, go out and do that stuff. That is praise God for you. Every Christian I know is praying for Ukraine right now and just desperate to see God move and protect and rescue. The problem, though, is that in progressive Christianity, the works become primary to the gospel, And social justice is going to be defined differently than justice is defined in the Bible. And so that's going to be defined more along the lines of what we would consider to be like a critical social justice, where justice is actually defined as all outcome being equal. And if any outcome is ever unequal, if you have any hierarchy, if you have any sort of imbalance of power, then that's what has to be torn down. And that becomes the gospel, essentially, in progressive Christianity. You will not hear sin and redemption preached in progressive churches. You will hear the atonement of Jesus referred to as cosmic child abuse. And so that gets shoved to the side, and then the good works then they become defined by culture, which is why those social justice, the activism that you'll see in the progressive community largely has to do with sexual revolution, with the uh, gay rights advocacy. And so those words get defined in a very unbiblical way, and it becomes primary to the gospel. Yeah, we've redefined God's terms, and we have allowed culture to define how we are going to live by them. In your book, Another Gospel... You list three essential Christian doctrines which are undermined, and we've, you just briefly discussed them. The Bible, the cross, and the gospel. Could you explain how progressive Christianity undermines biblical authority? Right. So biblical authority, you know, it just means we are compelled to obey the Bible. And it's really interesting because Jesus had this exchange with the Pharisees. And the reason I'm setting this up is because so much of the battle is over interpretation, Right? Even if a progressive Christian says the Bible's authoritative, but you know, we've just been interpreting it wrong for 2,000 years, and we need to see it in a completely different way. But Jesus had an exchange with the Pharisees where he appealed to a scripture that predated that meeting by 1,400 years. And he said, this is what God said to you. 
And he didn't say, we need to see this with fresh eyes. We need to, you know, maybe it means something we didn't think it always meant. No, he expected them to understand what the words meant. This is what God said to you. And that's where the battle is. Because you might hear words like authoritative, inspired, but they're free to completely reframe the entire narrative and use scriptures to make the case. And so it really does undermine any meaningful definition of biblical authority. I started my podcast Fearless a couple years ago because I saw a lot of my friends not be able to navigate their faith with culture, especially when it came to the LGBT movement. We all, it's 2022. We all have friends or family that might identify with this culture. And so we start trying to, with our finite wisdom, try to understand God's infinite wisdom. And we start redefining because how could God, once again, it goes back to the feelings. So when they start preaching these things, and by the way, progressive Christianity, we're talking about like when we look back maybe 15 years ago when some of these thoughts were arising, like a Rob Bell and questioning hell, we thought that was like, that's wild, right? Like that is far off. That is a random church far off. No, this is inside. It's inside the churches in this community. And that's why we're discussing it because we all have friends that are struggling with it. And maybe today you're struggling with it. These are questions that you're asking and uh, wondering. She mentioned cosmic child abuse and you've never heard that term. That's a wild term. And it's how could a loving God need his son to die on a cross and shed his blood? And so those are questions that young people are dealing with. So with this movement, it draws with their feelings. And we're talking about false teachings. And when I come back up here to Boone, I go to my childhood, the church I went to in high school and college. When I come up here every few months, it's like he's speaking the same message every time. He's talking about false prophets and false teaching. But that's because, and you even say this in your book, with the 27 books in the New Testament, 22 of them talk about false teaching. And um, that was the warning. But do you see a connection? And I just went off a little bit. Do you see a connection, a strong connection between progressive Christianity and the church's openness to ideas such as reproductive justice, critical race theory, and the new sexuality and uh, gender identity? Yeah, these would be core tenets of progressive Christianity. Embracing, uh, there's a movement within progressive Christianity to change the church's mind on same-sex marriage. And uh, I don't know if you've all heard of the Reformation Project, but this is a organized, I don't know if, I mean, they would call themselves a ministry, but they have conferences. They train progressive Christians to infiltrate evangelical churches and change people's minds from the ground up. They know they're not going to be able to convince a pastor from the top down, but if they can convince the lay people on the small group level, then that will trickle up and they, their goal, and they're very open about it, is to change the church's mind on sexuality. So yes, in progressive Christianity, you are going to see, in fact, uh, one of the main books that was written on sexuality by a progressive Lutheran minister named Nadia Boltz-Weber, it's called Shameless. In that book, she argues that Christians uh, should not be against abortion. And she, she traces through a bit of a historical argument. They don't really go to scripture for their arguments, but that, that's already put to the side. She says, hey, if you, who, whatever you think makes you thrive sexually, if, that, if it's a one-night stand, if it's, she calls it ethically sourced pornography in moderation, she says, then not only is that acceptable before God, but she said you can actually call that holy. God calls that holy. 
If it causes you to unite with another person or with God, you can call that holy. I mean, that's where we're at. And that book was endorsed by major progressive Christian thought leaders. This is their sexual ethics. So it's really not even just in the arena of LGBTQ issues. They're telling the church that if we tell young people to wait until they get married to have sex, we are actually hindering their sexual flourishing. We are oppressing them, and we're going to cause them to be dysfunctional sexually for the rest of their lives. This is the message. And and the other ones as well, the critical race theory is huge in the progressive Christian movement. You know, everything's sort of being divided into oppressed versus oppressor. Where do you fall in that category and where do your oppressions intersect? And, and that is going to give you more access to truth. So as a woman, I would have more access to truth than a man, or as a white woman, I would. But a black woman would have more access to truth than I would. A gay black woman would have more access to truth than the black woman would. So however many intersections of these categories of oppression you have give you more of a voice to speak truth about these issues. And that is where it's at with progressive Christianity, that they are totally on board with all of that. And it's sort of the primary message coming out of there. And we're seeing them create God in their own image, a God that affirms their own lifestyle. And I kind of say it's like you can have your cake and eat it too when it comes to this. But now that we've defined it and we've seen it, uh, I'm sure it's touched all of us in some way or another. How do we practice discernment? When we see it maybe creeping into our churches or into a friend's life, and you, you talk about this in your podcast and in the book, but how do we practice discernment? And if we see it happening, what should we do? Well, I think discernment is filtering everything through Scripture, right? We have to know the Word of God so well that when a counterfeit comes across our social media newsfeed or we hear it in a sermon, we will spot it instantly. Or maybe if we can't articulate it, we'll at least have a red flag. And we might think, I want to investigate what I just heard a little more. So to listen to that and filter it through scripture. So I think knowing the real thing, but we're also in a culture where you got to know why you believe it's the real thing. With Gen Z, they're not asking, oh, what does the word of God say? They're asking, why should I believe the Bible is the word of God? And, and we need to think about those things and be prepared to answer those types of questions. So I think discernment is uh, such a huge thing. But I don't want anyone to feel overwhelmed because if you know the real thing and you know why you believe it's the real thing, then you will spot the counterfeit. You will have a red flag. I had a friend who, she was at a progressive church that she didn't know it was progressive yet, but she just kept having these red flags. And so I love this. She took a notebook, and for one year, every time the pastor said something that gave her a red flag, she wrote it down in her notebook. And she told me, after one year, I looked back at everything I'd written down, and I was like, oh, this, yeah, this is really off. And so, you know, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the Word of God to help guide us through these things. But as far as what to do if you hear it, you have to speak up. How I've seen progressive Christianity take over entire churches is that people don't speak up. They don't call for that meeting with their pastor and say, Pastor, I have these concerns. Uh, would, would you be willing to listen to my concerns? They don't do that. Or if they have a new hire, maybe a pastor that starts saying these things. The other pastors, maybe they've known the guy for 10 years. They don't want to do what's necessary. They don't want to confront. And then if there's not repentance for teaching those false doctrines, they don't want to let that person go. So it just festers like yeast. You know, the leaven that, that leavens the, the lump, it, it becomes three times as big. And so we have to speak up. 
that happened in my own community um, in the last couple years with some of the issues that our culture has faced. And a pastor kept posting things over and over, and my friend just knew it wasn't biblical, uh, and he wanted to talk. Before he left the church and he and his family, he wanted to talk to the pastor because that's biblical. It's what scripture says. Because my brother Will says, you just can't up and leave a church, right? Because you got angry Christians that might leave a church and you got this group of angry Christians that leave a church and they come together and make one angry church together. But my friends, they did, they reached out to this pastor wanting to speak with them and the pastor denied them. And so they knew at that point that it was time for their families to leave. But you have to be ready to go in. There's no substitute for God's word. As she said, you have to know what you believe and why you believe it, even more so today because the questions we are getting are so deep, especially from a younger generation. But there's also wonderful other resources out there that you're going to have to know their argument as well because progressive Christianity, they know what they're going to say. They are ready for the fight. It's like they got their punching gloves on sometimes because they are, I feel, aggressive, almost in their recruitment And um, we've seen that with, like, Christian artists that have all of a sudden deconstructed their faith. They're just not going to go out quietly. It's like they want to set a bomb off and take everybody else out with them. And so we have to practice that discernment. We have to do what's biblical. We can't sit back and be quiet, whether it's a friend going through it. Suggest how you would walk through with a friend. Yeah, and thank you for asking that question because... One thing I want to be really clear on, when I'm up here kind of saying the house is on fire, everybody, wake up, wake up to this, you know, that's a different question than how do I walk with someone in my life who's buying into this? Those are two different questions and applications. And I have people in my life that have been sucked into this, you know, family. I have, I have people in my life like all of us do. And here's the thing. One of the sort of coming-of-age rites of passage in progressive Christianity is deconstruction. People deconstruct into progressive Christianity. So if there is someone in your life who is going through deconstruction, you have a very fragile opportunity to try to stay in their life. And I would say that's primary. So many of us Christians want to sit down and fix their theology, but what they're going through is something so much deeper uh, they're, they're confused by a culture that's telling them they have to actually look inside themselves, figure out who they are, and then identify themselves as that for everybody else. So that's all tangled up. They're, they're questioning some of the abuse scandals that have come out. They're questioning maybe a hyper-fundamentalist, legalistic environment they grew up in. There's a lot of wounds tied into it. So what I tell people is love them. Live out the beauty of the gospel in front of them. They know what you already believe. They grew up in your church. You have a fragile opportunity to establish a relationship where they know you're not going to react in fear, and you're not going to just try to get them to where they need to be before they're ready to be there. So take that opportunity to love them and let them see the beauty of the gospel because there are so many stereotypes about Christian. There are entire platforms dedicated to finding some pastor in a pulpit somewhere preaching with an AR-15, and then they put that out on social media, and they convince a whole lot of people that's, that's everybody. That's everybody in the church. That's all of us. And so you have to kind of break that stereotype for people. Let them see the joy and the peace of Jesus in your life. But you have a fragile opportunity, and it might be a short window. So my advice would be, don't come with all the you know, theology fixing right at first establish that relationship, let them know they can come to you and you can love them and 
and you might have just a short window, but that, that would be my advice. And a couple more questions before we close. Here at Samaritan's Purse, we're on the front lines on a lot of issues. We got our team getting ready to go to Ukraine. We're in the, the storms and ditches of life serving people. Lisa, why talking about this right now? Why is this important? Yeah, I was even thinking about this this morning as, uh, you know, we're hearing about everything in the Ukraine. It's like, why are we worried about this progressive Christianity when there are pressing problems in the world? And I'll, I'll tell you, here's why. Because when we go into the Ukraine, when we go into other countries, we bring the gospel. And we are exporting, not we, but America is exporting progressive Christianity into the rest of the world. We are exporting a gospel that can't save their souls. And we need to clean up our mess so that we can preserve the gospel, not just because we want our churches to remain, you know, whatever they are, but this is what's being exported. I'm I'm having reports from Iran, from Latin America, that progressive Christianity is spreading like wildfire. And it's our problem. We need to do something about it so that when we go into these other places, we are giving them not just help for their physical bodies and their temporary situations, but we're bringing them the message of eternal life. It's, I think the stakes are that high. If we start seeing this, we need to know what we believe and why. But what are some resources that you've um, used you would recommend as well? Yeah, uh, if you're a podcast person, uh, the Cross-Examined podcast with a D, because there's an atheist one called Cross-Examined. You don't want that one. Cross-Examined. Go to crossexamined.org. That's Frank Turk's ministry. Jay Werner Wallace's Cold Case Christianity is a fabulous book. There's a great podcast called Stand to Reason, Greg Kokel. Uh, the Natasha Crane podcast, I want to put that on your radar, and her books are phenomenal. She primarily up until now has been speaking to Christian parents, how to train their kids in apologetics, but she's moving more into the broader church. God is just raising up some really strong voices to defend the truthfulness of Christianity and the purity of the gospel. So I, I would just say off the top of my head, those would be some great places to start, but you're, you'll find other, others through all those people. And of course, I have some resources on my website. I have a podcast and a YouTube channel. So we're trying to just put out a lot of content to help people stay on the track of, of the authentic gospel. We, of course, as Christians, are always on a battlefield, and I believe that we are on a battle for the church and for the hearts and souls of a younger generation. Thank you for joining me on a special time of Fearless when we had Elisa visiting our Boone campus of Samaritan's Purse. I want to encourage you, if you have not read her book, Make sure you check it out. It's another gospel. I will put the link in the show notes. Her podcast is incredible, especially when it comes to certain subjects and we need to be sharpened and have a better understanding of different subjects that we are facing. She's a great tool for that. Thank you for following me, Sissy Graham Lynch. I encourage you to check out other podcasts that you might have missed on sissygrahamlynch.com, always helping you have a fearless faith and a compromising culture. I wasn't given the spirit